Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Jason Harris, author of The Soulful Art of Persuasion. And if you want to learn how to create soulful connections in your life, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode on the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I am super excited to bring on my friend Jason Harris. Jason is the CEO of the award-winning creative agency Mechanism, and he's the author of the new book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, which you can find at thesoulfulart.com. Jason has more than 20 years of expertise working closely with iconic brands like Ben & Jerry's, Miller Coors, HBO, and the United Nations through a blend of soul and science to create provocative campaigns that engage audiences. Through instructive and entertaining stories, Jason pulls from his personal and professional experience in the soulful art of persuasion to demonstrate how people can become master influencers in their own lives, build better relationships with others, and achieve sustained personal growth and professional success. It was a pleasure, a genuine pleasure to talk with Jason on the show because he talks a lot about how persuasion and relationships go hand in hand. And that's not something that I see a lot of people talking about. The majority of people that I see talking about persuasion aren't talking about relationships, and the people that are talking about relationships aren't 
talking about persuasion. So it's very, very refreshing for me to see a fresh glimpse on how the two coincide and how they go hand in hand. So we talk about a lot of different things, but just a few of the things that you can expect to hear are how to be an effective persuader to begin with. Uh, we talk about if you should go to college, if there's value in going to college or not anymore. And then uh, we talk about how a connection with Tim Ferriss helped Jason get this new book out there and how you can cultivate these types of relationships as well. So, so many things that we cover in this interview, and I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. I can't wait to hear some of your feedback. But first, really quickly, if you have not yet please head over to buildyournetworklive.com to grab a ticket to the upcoming events. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to be putting my all behind this. And I promise you that I will over-deliver on anything that you get on coming out here. So if it costs, ends up costing you a couple thousand dollars through the ticket, through the hotel and the, the flight and all that kind of stuff, I promise you I will over-deliver on that. So uh, if you're worried about the event price itself, don't even worry about that because everything that we're going to be doing is going to be based on delivering value at a much, much higher return than the investment we ask for. So tickets right now, general admission are 99 bucks. So there's no excuse to not be out here in Vegas at the beginning of November for this life-changing experience. I can't wait to meet some of you guys, actually shake your hands and get to meet you guys in person. So please, please, please head over to buildyournetworklive.com. Grab your ticket today before they sell out. And I will see you out here in Vegas really soon. And now here is my chat with Jason Harris. Jason, how's it going, my man? Thanks so much for taking the time. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So there's so much stuff that we can gonna, uh, be able to get into here. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your new book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion, which by the way, if you're listening to this right now, definitely head over to wherever you buy books and grab a copy of this book that just came out. And I promise you, you're going to get some amazing things from it. I know I did. But really quickly, Jason, before we get into some of that stuff, I want people to kind of get a chance to get to know you and your story a little bit. So let's chat a little bit about how this all came about. Talk to me about high school, Jason. What were you up to at that time? Did you picture a career in marketing and, and business or did you have something else in mind back then? I'm a little bit of an anomaly. I was uh, high school. Jason was sort of a scrawny, awkward teenager who uh, loved, I was into sports, but I loved uh, music. I loved David Bowie. I would listen to Bowie for hours and hours. And I also was kind of a TV addict. My parents were both school teachers and they were academics. They read a lot. I did not when I was that age, but I, I watched a, a lot of TV. I was really into entertainment and music. And I would always watch those sort of the commercials that were in between the TV shows I was watching. And sort of at a very early age, around high school, I knew that um, I was like, oh, people get paid to make those little ads in between the shows. That seems like that would be a fun career. So I, early on, I kind of knew what I wanted to be, which was a, as an ad guy. So was there any sort of influence in your family to like make sure you're going to college or what, was it just kind of like, hey, whatever you're wanting to do, let's reevaluate at that point? Or what taught me about those like external pressures that you face as a teenager? Yeah. So as a teenager, my, my parents were academics. Most, most of my family were teachers or professors. And there was, uh, not that they wanted me to become a professor or a teacher, but I had to go to college, of course, and graduate. And I was really into art history. That was the sort of thing that really inspired me in really? college was art history and studying the greats. And those were the classes I was really into. But I did have those external pressures. My parents were paying for school. And I ended up getting a business degree in economics where I had to take a lot of stats classes and accounting classes. I mean, it was like 
hard stuff that you would cringe when you had to do the homework and study. But I did that for them just to sort of get them off my back and get a degree that they thought would be valuable and could turn into something. If I wasn't going to be a teacher, at least I could do something in, in finance or business. So that's really where they kind of led me. So the great debate here, Jason, what, looking back, would you say college was worth the time in terms of helping your career? Or do you think it was a waste of time? Do you think it was dumb getting into debt? Where do you stand on that side of the equation now? How do you typically advise young people? Yeah, I know there's sort of that whole wave now of uh, school. You end up with a mountain of debt and school's not, which I did end up with debt from school. But I believe, in my opinion, I think um, school is important, not necessarily for what you study, because I don't think what you get a degree in matters very much. I think what is important is social dynamics and learning how to build relationships without the pressure of having to either get promoted or move up or start a company that you have no idea how to run without building those skills. To me, you can't do that only with a high school education. I think those college skills of showing up on time, delivering papers, studying when you need to, exercising those muscles, understanding social dynamics, what's at play in social situations. I think those skills to me are really the value of college. Like, Of course, that seems overpriced for those skills, but I think it's really about that age and that age of 18 to 22, you have to develop and flex those skills before you can come up with the greatest app in the world that's going to make you a billionaire. I right. think you have to have those basic skills. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So I, I land on the side of it's valuable for those reasons. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Got it. Got it. So heading out of college, what was like the first job? Where do you stand? I'm curious where you stand on that. So a little bit of context. I went to a very religious school because I thought I was going to be like a full-time minister. So I double majored in Bible and church ministries. So my experience was a little bit different just because it was so unique and different that I viewed my time in college as mostly a waste of time because... None of the people I went to school with ended up doing anything that I do. So it's not like I used it for networking or anything like that. Even though I knew a lot of the people there, it's just as soon as I decided to take the career path that I did, it didn't apply anymore. Like none of the relationships like that I had from school applied to what I do now. So there's no connections there. The skill sets were kind of a repeat of what I had done in high school. And I was lucky to have my parents pay for it. It was a private Christian school, a smaller college, like a thousand students. And they paid for it. So I I didn't end up with any debt or anything like that. But I think ultimately, like what I tell people is ultimately it depends on what you're wanting to get out of it. Meaning like if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you need like real hard skills. I think that school is, you know, obviously necessary for those things. But I think that in other ways, the communication skills and some of the other things that you're talking about, I think can be found through other routes rather than doing school and kind of earn while you learn. If you get in, like if I were talking to a kid right now, I'd be like, Hey, go work for somebody like Jason, go get in at his company, study, 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 start at the bottom, like do the basic work, but Hey, earning eight bucks an hour is better than paying to go to school where you're just learning the same skill sets that you could be learning while earning money instead of getting in debt is kind of how I, I think that's really true. And I think, I guess the answer is it depends. Right. right. And yeah. I think if you, if you have an idea of what you want to do and what you want to get into, it's probably because I, I think your advice is right. Like if someone came to, they knew they wanted to be in advertising, we're going to hire someone that has some experience in advertising, whether it's an internship or a year where they did it for free to learn the trade. We'll mm-hmm. hire someone with experience over someone with a college degree because then they're jumping in and they already have some learning. So I think that's like very wise. So I think it depends though, but if you don't, if you have no idea where you want to go from business and what your career could be, it does give you a pause button to sort of build yeah. some social skills while you figure it out. But I think if you know, you're probably right. Like just get in somewhere, talk your way in somewhere, start scrappy, and then you're going to build your resume and, and go from there. Yeah, totally. And I, th- I think a lot of it too depends on kind of the financial situation too. Like, do you have a scholarship or are your parents paying for it? Can you avoid getting in mountains of debt to learn a skill set that you could learn without getting in mountains of debt? And I, th- I think that definitely factors into it as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, okay. good topic. Yeah. <laughs> so after college, what was the next step in the path for you? Was it like, I, I better get a job at this particular firm or should I you know, start something right off the bat? What, what exactly was your thought process coming out of school? So I went to, once I got out of school, I went right into landing a job in marketing. I knew I wanted to be in advertising, but I wanted to just get in the field of marketing in any way, shape or form. And the first job I landed was doing promotional events for beer for Miller Coors. And so I would actually do field marketing events at sports, at sporting events and on and off premise events where we would promote Miller beer. And so that was, I mean, obviously it was exciting as a young kid just out of school. Yeah, it was kind of fun. So just continued my drinking path. <laughs> but it was like a good starter. And I think if you can't land the ideal job of running an ad agency from the top, 
or even getting in an ad agency. You want to get in the ballpark. You want to like land it somewhere close. So I took that, which was available. Then I moved into a design firm, which is not advertising, but again, in the same sort of field. So I worked my way through those jobs to finally get in the door at an advertising agency and then worked at many different agencies from there and sort of tried to learn. Yeah, I tried to learn what people did right and what people I did want to emulate in that process. Yeah. So, so when you were at Miller Coors, you were actually working like in-house for their marketing team, not like an ad agency that had them as a client. Now I was working for a promotional agency where that was their primary client. So I was working for a, a marketing team, but, but it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I wanted to be crafting content like that you see on your screen. Yeah. I want to be making the stuff, the, the film content, like the mm. stuff that you absorb out in the world, not blowing up inflatables of beer cans. Were there, so, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Were there deliberate steps that you took along the way to end up doing those types of things? Or was it kind of an organic growth that took place over time to make those different leaps to the other places to get to where you wanted to be like instead of blowing up inflatable beer cans and doing work on the things that you wanted to work on were you like conscious of those steps that you were taking or was it just like well i gotta just put in the time to get to the next step in the career type thing well yes it was kind of both i was putting in the time where i had something it was like a marketing and promotions firm so i got like marketing on the resume. So that was important. And then I just, what you talk a lot about in terms of like the networking aspect, Mm. I would just really, anyone who was, you know, at the top of the company or when a client came, I would just really kind of pick their brain and talk about my love for, Hey, this job's amazing. I also love advertising. What's your experience with that? And if we over time created a relationship, I'd, I'd ask them for some contacts and the way you build contacts isn't you call someone up and ask for a job. You take someone out to lunch or a coffee and kind of pick their wisdom in the field. And um, it's all about like building those relationships to have them open a door for you somewhere down the line. It's not the first time you take them out, but half of my job was doing my job. And then the other half of my job was keeping one eye open whenever I thought there was someone interesting that there might be a possible uh, connector, I would try to tell them my passion and pick their brain. Speaking my language, man. So how far off of yeah. where you are right now, do you think that you would be if you didn't have such an emphasis on creating those connections? I could still be blowing up inflatable beer cans. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I know I know you talk a lot about, is it the work you do or is it, is it who you know? And, mm-hmm. and yeah. obviously it's a mix of both. And I think you always have to have your eye on the prize. And if you, first of all, you have to identify the prize. Like we talked about earlier, like, what is it that I want to accomplish? And if you don't have that, you're going to meander between a lot of different jobs and trying to find something that's right. If you have, have spent the energy to figure out, I really think I want to do this, then it's about getting somewhere close in the vicinity of where you want to be. And then really, really building those relationships. Because without, without connection, I mean, I think in my company alone, we had maybe 25 job openings this year. And I think we had like 10,000 applicants. Wow. So if you look at that, those 25 people knew somebody that knew somebody that recommended them. Right. And the other people, maybe one or two got lucky somehow, but it's very rare. Yeah. And that's just one micro case study from my company experience. And it's much easier to have a warm introduction than get lost in the pile. 
Right. Yeah, no, 100%. So curious to know the timeline that was between taking that first job, filling up inflatable beer cans, and starting your agency. Like, What was the timeline there? And what do you think the top two or three lessons were during that timeline to help you make your agency so successful? So the timeline between... I worked probably at five or six companies, I would say over probably a 12-year period. And I always knew it wasn't am I going to open my own thing? It was always, when am I going to open my own thing? Yeah. And so I felt like in order to do that, you need some, I mean, this is just my perspective. Doesn't mean it's right for your audience or other people. I needed some, for me, my confidence is gained through experience and having some kind of gravitas of handling a lot of different situations with a lot of different personalities and understanding what I wanted to take from the leaders that I was under and when I wanted to sort of toss out. And without having that experience, it would be much harder to have a roadmap of what I was trying to build. And so I kind of knew all along that I had that plan. And when I felt like the time was right and I met some partners that seemed like people that we could do business with, we're still partners today, we decided to start something up. And it was actually my second, I took another swing at starting something before the current company mechanism. But I really sort of plotted that idea. And and some people might be born with that confidence right out of the womb, and they don't need all that experience. But for me to build what I wanted to build, I had to know what I was building and I had to be confident about it. Tell me about the decision to bring on partners. Was that always part of the plan or was it something that you decided to do when you came down to it? Well, my story is a little bit different. I started a company that was just me. And so I had this sort of chip on my shoulder that I I could do something on my own and I wanted to do something on my own. But I went about it in a bit of a reckless way where I was doing the ideation, the production, the management of the clients, the invoicing, the billing, really everything. And so I did that for about almost two years and almost had like a nervous breakdown because I was just trying to do everything myself because I thought that's what entrepreneurs did when they started incorrectly. And then some friends of mine had sort of, they were also starting something at the same time. And we sort of merged our companies to, into one. And I realized the power of collaboration is really critical for success. And if you're trying to do everything yourself, some people can do it, but it's really business is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're sprinting the whole time, people are going to pass you by because you're just going to like fall apart. And that's what happened. And that's when I realized that I needed, I needed partners to create something meaningful. Yeah. Tell me more about the collaboration thing that you just said, because I think there's a lot of people that are still holding on to the old school style of hardcore competition. And while I think healthy competition is really good for people and good for the market and for the consumer, I do think that we're moving more into an age of collaboration versus competition where everybody has an abundance mindset and it kind of increases the overall market cap of a certain industry. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I couldn't be a bigger proponent of collaboration. And I think competition versus collaboration, there's really, really no, there's nothing that will ever beat collaboration. I think collaboration, competition can be really good in the short run if you're creating a competitive culture. I mean, of course, there's going to be some competition, but if you're creating like a hyper competitive culture versus a, we tell everyone everything and everyone works on projects together. And we all share the success and we all share in the blame when there's failure. It's just going to be a much better 
richer culture with way more successes and a lot less uh, fallout, a lot less churn of people. And competition, it just sets up the mentality of winning by yourself, which I'm hugely against. Yeah. So do you think it's just ego and selfishness that prevents people from being collaborative? Or do you think that they legitimately don't think that it works? I think it's very hard for some people to share. And I think collaboration is all about sharing. That's why we started our company. A lot of advertising firms will have two or three names on the door, like a law law firm. And we consciously wanted it to be one name mechanism and the people behind the firm were sort of less important. And whenever we're talking about making decisions, we're always thinking about the best interest of the company and not the individuals. And I think the people that are still living in the competitive mindset, I think they're, they might have a lot of short-term success, but in the long run, they're not going to have a lot of friends left in the end. And I think it comes down to, can you share credit? Can you share the stage? Do you want to share? And if you, if you can't do that, it's not that you can't be successful, but it's that you can't be successful long-term. You can't ride that success unless you're a billionaire or born rich or right. inherited a lot of money, then you can do whatever you want. But I strongly believe that collaboration is of paramount importance. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. So that leads me to talk a little bit about your book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. I have a copy in front of me right now, and I want to read a little excerpt from that to touch on what we're exactly just talking about, long-term success and relationships and things. And when I read this, it was it hit home really close for me just because this is what my entire show is about, is long-term relationship building and how it factors into your success. And uh, so this is what it says, demonstrate that you care about things other than just making money or getting what you want as quickly as possible. Don't sell anything you wouldn't buy yourself, whether it's a product or a service or an idea. Don't be afraid to say no, even if it costs you something in the short term. Care about your relationships and do your best to see that none of them ever drops to zero and show that you're genuinely committed to whatever you're advocating by putting your own skin in the game. Let go of short-term transactional thinking and start playing the long game. So you already mentioned the long game, something we already been talking about in terms of collaboration versus competition. What are some other key aspects of the long game that people playing the short game should be aware of? I think a couple of attributes of playing the long game. One of them is when, whenever I hear no, I always, I always think of no for now. Like that just pops in my head. Yeah. And if you're, if you're pitching a client or an investor or whatever it might be, whatever field you're in, you're going to get a lot of doors slammed in your face. You're going to get a lot of no's, but you're also going to get a lot of opportunity to build relationships. And when I hear no, I always like to talk, keep a relationship with that person and find out what we could have done better, what we could have improved on. But then just always keep that person top of mind. Reach out to them every six months. Make sure you stay on the radar. I mean, we've won a lot of clients that we've lost because we've kept the relationship. Mm-hmm. And when another agency or another company screws up and we've had that relationship, and they liked us, and we came in second or third, we're going to be their first call to get them out of a jam. And yeah. so I always, you know, that's, that's long game thinking, not, you know, I can't believe this, I can't believe this jerk didn't pick us. We had the best presentation, like, screw right. that. 
That's yeah. really that's short-term transactional thinking. And it comes from this like fundamental, I feel like a fundamental disbelief in your own product or service. Like all that tells me is that they just don't trust you yet. So all you have right. to do is continue to prove that you're a trustworthy partner. And I've had that happen on multiple occasions with my show where I'll reach out to somebody and they say, no, they like, they're not going to come on my show. There's it's too busy. They're too busy. Or, or my show at the time wasn't big enough for them to say yes. And instead of getting super upset about them not taking their time to come on my no name show at the time, I asked if there's anybody I can introduce them to. And I made like key introductions to get them on other shows that were way more prominent and bigger than mine of people that I had relationships with. And then through that, five, six months later, was able to get them back on my show because that's that's an uncommon action. They're not used to being to telling somebody no and then getting value from them anyway. It's like, wow, you didn't just care about you getting value from me. You actually cared about getting like giving value to me. So in a couple of months when you reach back out again, yeah, I'll probably end up saying yes because you helped me out when you didn't have to. I mean, I think you're hitting on, on two amazing principles. I guess you inherently sort of have that a lot of so a lot of the lessons in the book I had to learn like their habits I had to learn I'm not a naturally generous person I'm a naturally kind person yeah like I approach everyone equal equally but it's not I'm not naturally giving stuff away at every turn yeah and what you just hit on is a key component which is generosity and, and that is really about giving something without ever expecting anything in return and when mm. you do that you end up getting things back and with compound interest and you don't know how, you don't know exactly when, but if you're giving away things for free, like connection, advice, your time, can't even be a little gift that you're thinking about the person. Those things add up in the long run to pay off. But if you're doing it with the goal of getting something back, that's the wrong way to think. You have to be thinking right. about being habitually generous like it worked for your show and you didn't know how or when but all of a sudden they gave you another they might not have done your show but they gave you another great guest and recommended someone because you you gave them something you were generous with them generous in spirit and the other thing that you had mentioned in that in the part that you read is this idea of never let relationships drop to zero and that's something that i've had to really work on and and when i say habits in the book if you do them enough over time and you're conscious about them they become second nature and they, they become habitual and never let relationships drop to zero is, I mean, it goes in your personal life. It's for personal growth and sustained business success where you're always thinking about who you can reach out to. And when you reach out to them, it can be, you read an article and you're like, who would be interested in this article right. that's in this industry that I can send it to, or it can be anything that reminds you of that person and keeping those relationships without hitting people up to ask for something, that's really critical for success. Totally. Yeah. It's, couldn't agree with you more on that. You guys have been fortunate to work with a lot of different, just really well-known brands like Fiverr and Papa Murphy's and Miller Coors and Peloton. Yeah. Peloton, another big one, Pepsi, like just really big brands, yeah. Dove and all these other ones. Has there been a particular, maybe not just relationship, but particular piece of work or ad that you guys have worked on that you were just particularly proud of? We did, uh, I'd say there's two that really stick out. We did a big brand campaign for HBO that was called What Connects Us. And it involved basically the cast of every show from Game of Thrones, every show you can think of, Veep, you name it. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, all the famous actors do that famous HBO sound of, you know, that Oh yeah, and and by doing that, we were able to just splice together 
a great brand piece, but then for each community online, we were able to really highlight the characters that spoke to them. And the reason why I thought that was just creative is we weren't saying anything. We weren't saying HBO has the best content and you can't find it on Netflix or Amazon. We were saying that HBO is premium entertainment, but we're just going to remind you of that sound. When you hear that sound, you know you're about to watch something great. Mm. And so we just did it in a way where you got the message, but we weren't listing features and benefits. We right. did it in a way where you, you got it instantly in your subconscious. And so that work, I was really proud of. Yeah, where you're and like then we linking, did, um, linking a soundbite to an emotion. That's right, exactly. And you're, you're showing, not telling. Right. And then we recently did a piece for MedMen, which is the... Yeah, the cannabis. They call it the... Yeah, the cannabis company. They call it the Apple. Apple of weed. It's still going to be the you know leading retail store for cannabis. Mm-hmm. And we created a, a film called The New Normal, which really shows the history and progression of cannabis in America. And, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that George Washington grew it and sold it. And then it became criminalized. And then we were throwing people, we were incarcerating folks for having a little bit of cannabis to having it medicinally available to now it's going to be eventually uh, legal everywhere. But there's health and wellness benefits, obviously, depending on how you take it. And we called that the new normal. And it was just a very, I think, clever way of showing the history with MedMen being sort of the, the pioneer of the new normal. It used to be normal. It wasn't for a long time. And the new normal is, is where we are today. And so we're really proud of that work. Awesome, man. Well, look, I know one thing that you're really excited about right now is your book that just came out, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. I obviously had a chance to work through some of that. And uh, there's some amazing stuff in here. But from my perspective, I've obviously already asked you something about what I thought was a good point. What are a couple of things that you are really hoping that people are going to take out of this work that you put together? What I want to get out of the book? Yes. Well, for me, I think we're living, I think it's a really timely piece because we're living in this age of distrust where relationships and personal relationships and business relationships are all built on trust, which you actually mentioned that word earlier. And for me, we're living in this age of distrust where we are really losing our ability to connect with people. And we're sort of in our own echo chambers of what our belief systems are. Right. And this idea of common humanity and that we all want the same thing out of life and we're all here for the same reasons. You know, there's obviously some psychopaths out there that were born a certain way or in their, through their environment. They don't want necessarily the same things, but the majority of us do. And we're, we're right. human and we sort of lost this connection and we're becoming really partisan in our beliefs. And so I think through the book, I'm just trying to show folks that trust and relationships and soulfulness and being empathetic and generous and really leaning into being your true self will create more success for you, but will also hopefully create a better environment in in the world. And I mean, that's obviously a huge goal. I just hope that people that read this find more success can develop some of these habits that they can practice. But that was really the idea behind it. Yeah, use the word empathetic, which is a word that has been popping up more and more with a lot of people that I talk to, especially um, a guy named Chris Voss. Do you know Chris? Oh, yeah. Best book I think I've ever read on negotiation and by itself. And he talks a lot about empathy and how important that is. Can you talk into that for a second? Why is that so crucial? Yeah, so I think empathy, you know, the ability to see things through the other person's lens is important as a mindset. 
And the idea that, quote, I always love to say is that we are all 99.9% the same. We all have right, right. almost the same DNA. And the fact that we are not able to see someone else's view, both politically, maybe religiously, maybe philosophically, I think is, is really crippling us. And I think to be successful in business, you have to have an empathetic view. You can't be selling something that you wouldn't buy. So you have to think about it from the other person's perspective. Why would this be interesting to them? What would attract them to it? Where are they coming from? And it's, it's a hard thing to do, but if you can be more empathetic, you'll start to always think about, once you start developing that habit, you'll always start to think about things from not just your perspective, but the other person's perspective, which will lead to much greater success. And how does all of this relate into a networking type of a conversation? I know that's a buzzword, networking, but when I say that, I mean connection, building real relationships, getting to know people who are operating at a higher level than you are. When I say that word, it's all of the above. So how, how can we use some of the practices and principles that you share in the Soulful Art of Persuasion to build better relationships uh, in our life? Yeah, and I think if you're talking about current relationships, that's one thing. If you're talking about networking, where you're developing new relationships or you're reaching out to role models, I think applying some of these principles really is about not what that role model or that networked person can do for you, but understanding and researching where they're coming from, what their point of view is, and how you can bring them something of benefit. And if you can do that, you're kind of off to the races. And I think not worry as much when you're networking about, I have to meet this person because they're going to give me X, Y, and Z. It's much more about, hey, I have something to offer. I have a point of view. I have a little bit of knowledge in this one area that they seem interested in. I'm going to offer them something. And I think that's going to build a connection. So tell me about a specific time in your life, Jason, your career, business, however, whatever way you want to take this. Tell me about a time where a connection led you to a big moment of success that otherwise probably would not have ever been able to happen. Well, I think for me, I always wanted to write a book. It's something that I've been kind of kicking around for a while. This book took me three years to do. And through relationships, I was able to meet Tim Ferriss and become friends with him. And what we had to offer was working with him on some marketing ideas and some other work. And I never thought, oh, I'm going to tap Tim and he's going to help me with, you know, figure out a book. But as we built that relationship, when I did ask him for something, what I did was say, you know, I have a book idea. Do you think you'd be comfortable letting me know who your agent was? And he connected me with his agent who helped me sort of crystallized the concept. And then I was off to the races, but without having developed that, obviously in the book world, the publishing world, Tim's like as good as it gets, without having developed that relationship, this process probably would have taken me much longer. Yeah, it's such an incredible example of exactly what I'm talking about. Before we move on to the last segment here, Jason, what are, let's just boil it down to one thing. What is one thing, like one practical tip, one piece of advice that you would give to somebody listening out there that really, really, really wants to take this next year and really build their network and build better quality relationships? What would one tip be besides the ones that we've already talked about today? I think one one tip that I would recommend in terms of, of building relationships that we haven't talked about is I think trying to find, this is, it seems a little bit off course, but I think it's really, really important. When we have skills that we've developed and everyone has developed some amount of skills, whether it's two or three, or you're still developing more, 
when you develop some skills and you also are thinking constantly about what you can do that's positive, what's a positive thing you can do in the world, whether it's social good, whether it's creating something, everyone has something that they care about that they complain about, but they don't do anything about. And I think if you match your skills with the thing that you're passionate or care about, and you think about how connecting those two things together and how powerful that can be to do something and put something out there in the world, by doing that and actually attempting something positive, it will be incredible how that unlocks a whole new network and a whole new connection set of like-minded people that care about the same thing that will help you down the road through business, through life. And that's sort of one advice I would give. Absolutely. Can't agree more. Let's go ahead and move on now to the last segment, my man. Random rounds, just a few really quick random questions, quick random answers, and then I'll let you go. Sounds perfect. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? I would love to be... I was in a band for a long time in San Francisco, but we sort of never went anywhere because we had careers. But that something in the music field, probably in a band would be my ideal profession without all the overdoses. (laughs) If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat with them for an hour, who would it be and why? Well, David Bowie is one of my biggest influences of all time. I think he helped me realize that leaning into your true self and flying your freak flag and not caring what others think leads to success. So I'd, I'd love to talk to him about how he didn't care about others, other people's opinions and just kind of made his own path. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Obviously, I love, love podcasts. I love going to the movies. I love entertainment. Love, love that. I, I read books. Like I actually buy hardcover books and sit and read them a lot of times on planes, but that's the way I consume content. Uh, don't do audio, don't read on a, on a Kindle. It's just really hardcore books, which is kind of a pain when you travel, but that's just the way I'm old school that way. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. So I recently, because everyone's been talking about it so much, started meditating for 10 minutes in the morning. Yeah. And um, it's very, very hard for me because my mind is sort of always racing and I'm Always, re- I jump out of bed, kind of ready to go. But I do 10 minutes of meditation, usually do some type of workout, boxing or weights or ride a Peloton, but that's probably like five days a week. Then I eat and then uh, I go into work and sit down at my desk. But it's always, now it's it's meditate, exercise, eat, get into work and start my day. That's, that's my routine every morning. What is your go-to pump-up song? Under Pressure. That's it. My queen. Love it. What is something that you are just not very good at, Jason? Something I'm not very good at. I have no patience. And it's something (laughs) that I'm practicing. (laughs) It's something that I'm practicing. I have patience in the things that we talked about in playing the long game and building a business. I'm patient in that way, but I'm just not a, I'm not a patient person, whether waiting in line, in traffic, someone being extremely late. I'm just, I just lose patience really quickly and I'm trying to be a little more zen about it. As we get everything wrapped up here, Jason, what's one place online where we're going to be able to find you the most? You will find me the most on Instagram. I do a lot of actual connecting with friends and business through Instagram. Instagram sort of become my go-to. Amazing. And what's your handle over there? It's at Jason underscore Harris. 
Awesome. So if you've been listening to this episode and you want to connect with Jason, make sure to screenshot this episode, upload it to your Instagram story, tag me at Travis Chapel and tag Jason at Jason underscore Harris. Let us know that you're tuning in and uh, we'll head over there and say thank you and say what's up. Please, please, please do yourself a favor. Don't even do me a favor. Don't do Jason a favor. Do yourself a favor and go get a copy of his book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. I promise you will not be disappointed in a lot of the content material that he put into this. You can always tell when people actually work on a book and when they're just putting out a book for the sake of putting out a book. And this is definitely one of those ones where um, this guy put a lot of thought, effort, time, and energy into creating this piece of super valuable content for everybody out there that's listening. So please go over and grab a copy of The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Jason, thank you so much for coming to the show today, my man. I had a fantastic time with you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me, you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me, I promise I will over-deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.